Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hartrue has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hartrue in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, February 23rd. There's been so much tennis that's gone on in both the professional tennis world, the college tennis world, even junior tennis is starting to pick up its schedule here in 2021. It's almost impossible to follow it all. And here at Crack Rackets, I think we've done a pretty good job at covering all of the Australian Open. Hopefully, all of you are caught up on how Novak Djokovic, Naomi Osaka emerged as the year's first Grand Slam singles champions. Hopefully, you're all well aware of what's happening in the college tennis world as well. It was such a blast for our Crack Rackets team to be in person at both the men's and women's national indoor events. Of course, Chris Halioris, Matt Stokowiak, and I will be offering you all an update on what happened this past weekend in the college tennis world on tomorrow's Great Shot podcast. But something we haven't quite done yet that is one of my favorite things to do as a tennis fan is focus on the up-and-coming players. The players still grinding it out at the futures level, the challenger level, and last week we had three phenomenal ATP challengers unfold. Joining me on today's podcast to break down all of the action once again, you may know him as a writer on our website, crackrackets.com. You may also know him as a writer for Last Word on Tennis. You know him on Twitter at All About Tennis Blog. I know him as my friend David Gertler. David, welcome back to the show. How are you holding up, my friend? Thanks for having me. I, there's so much tennis going on right now. I don't even like it's like tennis overload. Uh, no. It's it's overwhelming. It it's incredible. Especially because we just had a Grand Slam and usually, you know, right after the Australian Open it feels like a little bit of like a lull. But this year it's just like full steam ahead. No, the craziest part, we have three ATP events this week. We have another WTA event, which, of course, was preceded last week by a simultaneous WTA event happening in Melbourne. There are always too many futures events going on in any given week to keep track of. But, yeah, I mean, look, it's a pandemic season. All these tournaments, when a date becomes open, if they think it's possible for them to host a tournament, they're going to hop on the date. And these tournaments, these events are going to come up sporadically. And as tennis fans... You know, I always joke around on this podcast, David, tennis really is a 24-7, 365 day a year sport. It legitimately was these past two weeks. You had challenger action starting, you know, early in the day in South Africa. You had, of course, the Australian Open matches and the WTA ATP events even before that in the earliest parts of the mornings. Then you had the European challengers starting. There's always an American stream or two to find as well. How are you feeling? I feel like sleep-wise, you must be a little bit deprived. A little bit. 
I would say a little bit, but for me, it's like at a certain time, like I have, uh, you know, class and work at a certain, <laughs> a certain time of the day, uh, I got to shut it down. Uh. No, it's fair. For me, it's like, I mean, yeah, this is the grind of February. The fact that the Australian Open was thrown into this month meant it was always going to be chaos. But again, that's been a really fun thing for us tennis fans, given last year we missed about six months of tennis. They are really trying to make it up here what in is, the early portions of the season. What do you mean we missed? We had the uh, wonderful East Coast exhibition uh, with <laughs> total uh, clean tennis. No, no fixing at all. <laughs> yeah, the U.S. Pro Series, they just tried so hard. Yeah, it was just... Karatsev, it was so funny, you know, thinking back to Karatsev in that in that uh, exhibition, uh, you know, losing to uh, I, who was it, like Jordi or and, uh, Adam <laughs> L. Midawi, and people, yeah. something like that. And now seeing him in the Grand Slam semi semifinals, uh, it was uh, interesting to think about. No, good for him. I watched. I watched more Dusty Boyer this summer than anyone has any right to do. And it's just like, yeah, I agree with you. Speaking of which, you wrote a piece during the Australian Open on Aslan Karatsev, his run to the Australian Open semifinal. And I believe you wrote it after the second or maybe it was the third round. But, you know, I, I haven't had the chance to it talk was to you on the podcast. Yeah, and so I haven't had the chance to talk to you on the podcast since, but, you know, Karatsev was a guy when we recapped the Challenger season from last year and when we were talking about who were some of the best players, he was unequivocally maybe the best player on the Challenger Tour last season. I'm sure semifinals was unexpected for all of us, but watching his performance over the two weeks in Australia, what were your takeaways? Was it a noticeable jump in his level of play, or did everything he was doing last year just kind of translate in this? one event well a lot of what he did last year was on clay um yeah. so it i think it was given what i saw in qualifying it was not surprising that he made it to schwartzman it was surprising that when he beat schwartzman i was like holy crap like <laughs> and not only beat schwartzman i think he only gave up like nine games uh that was like super impressive and then you thought he was running out of gas against uh, faa and then out of nowhere he just turns that match on its head um, and then he beat Grigor. You know, I, I hear a lot of the Grigor injury stuff. It's like, you know what? You, you went out there. You didn't retire. I don't want to hear the excuses. Yeah. No, I mean, it's funny because I, I didn't have the chance to watch too much of the Australian Open live just with all of the broadcasting we were doing and all the various things at Correct Rackets. But I did get the chance to lock in on Karatsev over the last few rounds when things kind of slowed down. And, you know, I had watched him play Challenger Tour matches and – It's so different on the clay, and it's so different at that level. But to see him just take – it feels like he does play a late 90s, early 2000s game, and it's not the firepower of Murat Safin, but the way he just takes every ball early and his backswings are so efficient and so small. It's not these big cuts you see now from a guy like Francisco Serendolo, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, but – who I was going to say was the other contender for challenger player of uh, 2020. (laughs) Because he won, yeah, he won three challengers last year. Um, all no, out. yeah, he was in, he was incredible. And again, we're we're gonna get to Serendolo momentarily, but just to finish up on Karatsev, he does make the game look very easy. His contact point is so fluid. He mm-hmm. can do a little bit of everything. And as you mentioned, what's so I think encouraging if you're a Karatsev fan, and we don't have to get into his background, we don't have to get about some of the shady things that happened in matches in the past. Is this a guy who always had the talent and just for reasons outside of, you know, the the integrity of the game, just wasn't doing his best on the court, whatever. We don't have we, to get into that We can that get right into now. that with Gabbish Vili. Uh, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> uh, the past week, yeah. Gallagher, had a question. Or how about Nicholas Kicker getting a wild card into the Cordoba event this I don't week? Bl- or I don't know if it's Cordoba. I don't blame yeah. the tournament. I blame the ATP and WTA for letting stuff like that happen. I think for the yeah. first year after a drug or – gambling ban you shouldn't be allowed any wild cards no i agree maybe even it should be a lifetime ban from wild cards truly harsh in the penalty so that these players know hey if you do this you are compromising the integrity of of the game and we're going to take that seriously it's like if you're going to 
try and confront the problem you actually have. I was talking about this with a player the other day who was going to remain nameless, and they were like, look, if you're trying to disincentivize match tanking, what you have to do is have harsher penalties, and you have to make an example of someone not just in you know, the 100 to 500 range or the sub-500 ranked players who a are lot doing of the it perhaps a bit more blatantly. Yeah, but there are players who are in the top 100 now who have done it in the past. Yeah. Like, it, it's just a fact. And I just... Yeah, whatever. Again, this is a topic for another time. It yeah, really is Karatsev, good to talk with One you, more but... thing on Karatsev that I noticed yeah. was that on his forehand, I thought that the angles he generated from his forehand were super impressive. And, like, and I was like, he, he would like wind up and then he would hit these driving people way off the court and i'd be like how did he do that that's what i'm saying i completely agree it's that on the rise but it's not the power of seth and it's that late 90s early 2000s on the rise tennis but the success he's had on the clay it's translated to the hard courts you're Mm -hmm. absolutely right the way he opens up the court for himself and moves forward and just takes advantage of time and space it's a really well-rounded game and that uh, and that uh, win over Nakashima now, given how Nakashima is <laughs> looking better and better. Uh, yeah. yeah, and isn't he the one who said his toughest match was first round qualifying or whatever against Nakashima? And it's just like, yeah, okay, that that passes the eye test, that passes the smell test as well. That's pretty funny to hear, but no, I mean. Again, Karatsev was fantastic. Uh, it's not, you know, he's in the top 50 now. Will he sustain a top 50 ranking? It's a fascinating question. Certainly, it's going to be really interesting to see what he does from a scheduling perspective because I'm sure he had a bunch of challengers lined up ready to go. And now it's like, well, wait, wait a second. I need to go play 250s. I can go play 500s. I can play pretty much whatever event I want. Right. Aslan Karatsev was one to watch heading into the year before his Australian Open run, and I think now it's going to be interesting because I'm sure a lot of eyeballs will continue to stay on him. But, and again, this is why it's so fantastic to have you back on the show today, David. There's a lot of stuff for us to talk about given how much has unfolded at the challenger level. And look, I feel like we could probably talk about even the the challengers that happened because I think there were a few challengers that first week of the Australian Open if memory serves me correct as well but we're gonna you know let those go by the wayside for those of you curious what's happened over the past two weeks in the challenger uh, tour there have been uh, let me see here I want to be correct I'm looking at the schedule there have been one two three four five six challengers over the past two weeks two weeks ago it was Benjamin Bonzi Ilya Marchenko and Ruben Bemelmans earning titles this week, uh, this past Demo week, get it one, huh? I was not. It, that. No, it's or there's always one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's always one. Uh, but of course, this past week we had three challengers: one in Italy, one in Chile, one in South Africa. I know the one you watched most is the one in Chile. I also had the chance to catch up on all the highlights, all the matches from there. So we're going to start in Concepcion on today's podcast, where. You know, simply put, we had a fantastic all-Argentinian final in the end. Uh, It was Sebastian Baez winning his, I want to say, let me look here on his career, Sebastian Baez winning the first challenger title, I believe, of his career as he knocks off Francisco Serendolo 6-3, 6-7, 7-6 to earn the title now for Baez on the week. He was unseated. He knocked off number two seed Andre Martin uh, in the semifinals. Yeah, who was playing some The first set of his uh, quarterfinal against Altmaier was uh, one of the most physical sets I've seen in a long time. No, I mean, again, he played some spectacular tennis for Baez. He also beat number four seed Hugo Delian uh, in the quarterfinals and then knocks off the unseeded, but as you mentioned, one of the top challenger players in the in the world during the 2020 season, Francesco Cirandolo, 6-3-6-7-7-6. Let's start with the Sebastian Baez side of this equation. Baez, 20 years old, doesn't turn 21 until late in December. Currently number 312 in the world. That's, I believe, four off of his career high ranking of number 308. And when you look at Baez, yes, this was the first challenger victory of his career, but He's 20-8 and eight in his last 52 weeks. During that course of time, that includes a final he made on the clay at a 25K in Prague back in September. It includes a couple of semifinals in the two subsequent 25Ks he played. He also made quarterfinals at a challenger late November last year, round of 16 at a that, challenger. Uh, when he lost to Galan? 
That is when he lost, I believe, or that was to Andre Martin in the quarterfinals. That was a match he lost four and four. He lost to Galan in Campinas at the, that, the next week in the round of sixteen. Lot, in that match, he showed a lot of potential. He, he kind of choked it in the end, but mm-hmm. was, that was a great learning experience when he lost to Galan. Um, yeah. No, in, in fact, he ended up beating Daniel Galan in the round of 16 this week. So he literally took out the 5 seed, the 4 seed, the 2 seed, and then Sorondolo 7-6 in the third. If you've watched Sebastian Baez play, the first thing that stands out, he's what, like 5-6, five, 5-7 five, generously. His movement, exceptional, and the way he moves the ball around the court. I think it was Paul Timmons who uh, compared him to five, Diego seven. Schwartz. Yeah, 5-7. Compa- compared him to Schwartzman. It's an obvious comparison to make. They're both Argentinian, obviously. They're both not the biggest in stature, and they can both do a lot of things with their ground strokes. But, I mean... For me, the thing that stands out for Baez is just the way he moves the ball around the court, David. I mean, he plays such high percentage tennis, and yet he is still being dynamic with his shot selection. Mm-hmm. It's a really well-rounded, really high floor sort of game. Yeah, the speed around the court, the the uh, anticipation that he has for opponent shots, uh, that was something I noticed big time in that match with Galan. With, he knew where Galan was hitting the ball before Galan knew knew where he was hitting the ball um yeah and then you know he surprised me though because at the beginning of the week I was like I don't know of course it was a jinx um (laughs) he had a great week when he beat Martin Martin like I said before that was when that was when I really realized this guy was a was the real deal he hit with great depth with consistency high consistency which you mentioned um and he really impressed me um and he did it consistently he he until the final he didn't lose a set in playing galan delian and martin all on clay to straight set them all and really not have much troubles at all in any of those matches in any of the sets he only had one set out of those uh three that went out of those three matches that even went seven five um it was super impressive now the thing is you know can he sustain it, you know, over the course of many challengers and really start to move up? That's uh, to be seen. Yeah, and uh, for the record, with the victory, Baez moves up to number 256 in the live rankings. I think he was up as high as 254, has moved down a couple of spots in the days since, but... Yeah, you look at his the totality of his performance this weekend. He dropped uh, this past week. He dropped, as you mentioned, just one set. It was that seven six second set to Surandolo in the final. You look at his service numbers throughout the week. He was over sixty four percent in every single one of his matches. Over seventy four, seventy three percent, excuse me, in four of the five matches. And yeah, it's just he plays high percentage tennis. He puts a ton of returns in the court as well. And it is worth noting, as you mentioned, uh, you know, how sustainable is Baez's performance outside of a clay court? In particular, you, you know, you can tell right away he plays six, seven, eight feet behind the baseline, uses his speed and that extra bit of time to track extra balls down. And if he gets his racket on the ball more often than not, he's making really clean contact. He's swinging through that shot. But you know, I thought it was a really nice adjustment from Surandolo in that second set to start employing more drop shots and to use his forehand not as linearly, but to start, mm-hmm. you know, opening up the court and starting to play with more spin, more uh, more uh, height over the net as well. And just kind of, you know, he also started to move forward a bit more and just take that time away from Baez. And you look at Sebastian Baez in his career. It's funny because he lists hardcourt as his favorite surface okay. on his ITF profile. He's played 16 total matches on hard courts in his career now he's only played 147 matches thus far and he is only 20 years old doesn't turn 21 till December but that is the big question now because with his ranking he's gonna have the option to not play exclusively clay court events he mm-hmm. will have he the option to try he is Sorry, 11 go five on hard courts um yeah but that's such a small sample yeah. size and it's like where have those I don't think he's played a single challenger yet on a hard court I know he played Australian Open qualifying or no not Australian Open qualifying excuse me I'm looking through his career I mean he played one hard court match in the post pandemic season last year it was a 
25k uh, match that he lost his first round 6-7-6-0-6-3 to Raul Brancaccio who respectfully I watch a lot of tennis I have not seen the name Raul Brancaccio uh, before I've, he's he's a clay quarter actually and he's he's nothing I mean good no this I think he, I think he's yeah I'm clicking on him now he's top 400 so I'm sure I will see him more frequently in challenger draws it's tough now right because you have to be almost top 250 to get into a challenger mm-hmm. and it's like with all due respect I'm not scrolling through all seven ITF draws every week so sometimes you're gonna miss a guy like that he used um, to be on the challenger tour more than he has been recently yeah, I, again, and I'm sure we'll see him later in the year. He, Raul, Raul Brancaccio is not the subject of today's <laughs> podcast, with all due respect to Raul. But in terms of Sebastian Baez, as I mentioned, he's right around that top 250 now. He's been really, really successful, 20-8 and eight again over his last 52 weeks. You want to look in general in 2020, he was 28-13 and 13 overall. I will say, actually, you look at what he did on a hard court, so... 15 Ks at Monastir. He made the semifinals in January, lost to Nuno Borges. He made and won a 15 K on hard courts uh, the next week. And then the subsequent week he lost in the quarterfinals to Lucas Katarina uh, in straight sets. I, I don't know if you're him. Do you play some futures events on hard courts? Do you go now and look to play exclusively a challenger schedule? What's your next move? If you're Sebastian Baez? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, what do I think he should do, or what do I think he will do? Uh, you can answer it however you want, David. It's always I, open-ended here on the mini break. You know, I think you know, I think he has either qualifying or main draw of Buenos Aires, uh, right? Um, in a mm-hmm. couple weeks, um, I think that I think that he needs to play more challengers um, if he can get that base on clay, then try to transfer it to hardcore, um, which is kind of what Nakashima's been doing in reverse where he's really been focusing sure. a lot on hard courts but he needs to now move to clay I guess now I want to see more on clay from Baez, Baez and then eventually I once you get that come once you get playing at that good level over time on clay then you can start to think about hard courts because the last thing I think he wants he should be doing now is to lose a bunch of hard court matches and totally stop his momentum um, that he has hundred percent. We're now starting to move towards the road to Roland Garros, and I'm assuming he'll probably by that by the time the cutoff happens be in the qualifying draw. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly when the cutoff is for that, but I, if he keeps playing like this, he'll definitely. No, and the thing is, if he's playing, cha- why I completely agree with you is the challenger level points he'll be getting if he's just playing clay challengers and winning even only his first round match are just significantly more than even winning a futures event on mm-hmm. hard court or just any, from a points perspective, given he's got a top 275 ranking, I agree with you. Ride it, you know, when the mic is hot, ride it, ride it out. And for him, He's played exceptional on the clay courts of late, and again, he kind of just took away everything Serendola wanted to do. Serendola wanted to take big cuts at the forehand, but Baez was kind of like, all right, I, I know you're going to do that. I know you're going to try and open up the down the line by going heavy cross court. I'm going to beat you to the spot. I'm going to go down the line, and it's not going to overwhelm you with pace, but as you mentioned, he gets great depth on all of his shots, great placement, and just you know gets the point back to neutral, and it's such a physical battle. Again, him. He is going to wear you down, put so much pressure on you. Now, on a hard court, you wonder, does a big serve, a big plus one forehand hit through the court a little bit easier? Does it become a little bit easier to, you know, beat him when he can't stand 12 feet back on the return of serve? And that's a question he'll have to answer if he wants to enter the top 100. Uh, but he deserved, I mean, he was the best player this week in oh, Concepcion. Yeah. I mean- and... That doesn't always happen, right? That the best player takes home the title. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you just like I said before, if you look, if you look at Galan, Delian, Martin, Serendola, like if you're beating those four in a row, you totally deserve the title. 
Yep, I agree with you there. Now, quickly, let's talk about Surindolo, who we've mentioned in the past, and for Francisco Surindolo, who makes the final here this week. He's now 32-8, and eight, David, mm-hmm. in his last 52 weeks of play. You look at what that's involved for him, for Surindolo. Since just the restart last season, he won three challenger titles all on the clay. He then makes another final here in February, I believe. Uh, he did play Australian Open qualifying and ended up losing to Villa Martinez, but uh, I think that was a match he withdrew from I was going to say he withdrew from that match correct yeah I think he he would have he would have had a great chance to qualify if he yeah. didn't have COVID no I agree with you you look at the wins he got this week a three set win over Nicholas Jerry in the second round we know Jerry is a top 100 guy yeah, when he's Jerry. not choked that yeah. badly though it was a yeah whoop, yeah a but hey it's a credit for Surandolo for holding serve with him the entire time right making 68 percent or 67 percent of his first serves and only getting broken I think three times in the match but you know yeah anyways that's a high level win he also knocked off Sabeth Vild in straight sets in a match that was a very you know Tiago Sabeth Vild seems to have finally found his legs again and he's starting to play Surandolo against the yeah. other <laughs> exactly. I want you know they're sharing notes, by the way. Um, but no, I I I think he, you know, it's a really good win over Sabethville to beat Alejandro Tabilo, who's played very well played over great. the past six months. Yeah, to beat him one in one and to make only forty five percent of your first serves in that match. I mean, that just speaks to how well and how confidently Serendolo is striking the ball from the baseline. And even in the Bayez match. I loved the adjustments he made. I loved the patience he displayed where, you know, that first set got away from him. He got the break back of Baez. I believe that was for 2-3 and then handed that break back pretty quickly. And there's a world where, you know, he thinks, all right, I made the final, whatever. It's just not my day-to-day. I'm going to have to make a million balls and I don't really want to do that. So I'm going to quit on this match. He did not quit on the match under any circumstance he had made the adjustments he started moving forward he started again playing more angle as opposed to trying to drive the ball through the court and just opening things up for himself and yeah the forehand's the calling card it's a big backswing and it looks a little bit better on clay but it's not like it's not Soderling dramatic where I don't think you know I think it's a hitch or I think on a hard court he's not going to have time to do it I look at Francisco Surandolo who you know turns I want to say 23 years old in August of this year currently ranked number 146 I believe in the live rankings but uh, you look for him no yeah number 136 in the live ranking that's one off his career high of 135 he's 22 years old perfectly positioned right it's it's really funny I'm looking at the live rankings right now uh David number 136 22 year old Francisco Surandolo number 137 22 year old JJ Wolf like and it's just very funny to think how different the pathways were for both of them to get where they are in the rankings now but I think if you're Francisco Surandolo especially with the South American clay swing coming up this is his moment to enter the top 100. He's playing that well, and he could do what, you know, I don't think, right, it, yeah. it, I guess it's not a direct comparison since Karatsev beat Schwartzman and FAA and Dimitrov to get to the semifinals of the Australian Open, but if I tell you Francisco Surandolo is going to make the semifinals of one of these South American clay court swing tournaments, would that shock you at all? Like, it wouldn't me. No, it wouldn't. Um, it wouldn't at all. Uh, I mm-hmm. think that, uh, yeah, Surandolo, it's great that you that you know he's starting to incorporate that you talked about the variety because I think that was something that in the past has been lacking for me a little bit. The what impresses me the most and what I wrote about on Twitter the other day was the, is that the way he's able to change directions on his ground strokes, especially the forehand, and hit into such small targets with uh, ease and smoothness. So what I'm thinking of especially is when he's in the center of the court and he hits the and he hits an inside out forehand at an angle that, for a winner, at an angle that I just, I did not even see was there, you know, during the rally. Yeah. I just, I'm like, how impressive is that? And he just, mm-hmm. end a rally like that, you know, so quickly with that inside-out forehand from the center of the court. And it's just so impressive to watch him go to work. And, yeah, he, I mean, he beat some great, you know, he beat Carbaez Baena last mm-hmm. challenger final, Andre Martin. Pedro Souza and the, those were the three challenger titles he won, you know, in the final over. And he's he's there to stay. And I think we're gonna see that, like you said, during the golden swing. 
Yeah, no, he's my new Pedro Martinez Portero. Last year, I was all in on the on the PMP bandwagon. I was like, I'm telling you, he's making the fourth round of the French Open. Unfortunately, Sebastian Corda had to ruin that for me. Um, but if Serendolo gets into the main draw of this French Open, he will be my sleeper pick for every match wow. he plays. And I will say, don't not not sleeper to you know win the event. Let's not get crazy, but like <laughs> he will be my guy. If you see that unseated player in the third round, where you think to yourself, who's Francisco Cirandolo? Remember, we were talking about him on today's podcast. And again, we've gone a little long here on Concepcion. This was the one that time zone wise was the easiest to watch. And so I am curious, you look at some of the other results in the event. We talked about Nicholas Jerry already, who lost second round to Cirandolo. Daniel. really well played event. I- it was, there were so many fantastic first round matches, like the Felipe Milagini Rodriguez Elvez versus Hugo Delian match. Like to have that be a first round or, you know, some of the other, I think, second round matchups. Like I really like the Emilio Gomez, Tiago Sabathville second round or Orlando Luz Sabathville first round, Tarante Galan first round. This was a loaded draw. And so again, yeah, your final takeaways from the event. Um, I, I, well, I was happy to see uh, Daniel Altmaier play better. Um, I know he'd been struggling, but he really played some high-level tennis. Um, Juan Manuel Serendolo had a tough draw against him. Um, I think you know he's done well in Cordoba qualifying. He's a name to watch out for, uh, Francisco's brother. Hugo Delian looked great until he played Baez. Uh, Baez. Um, and then I am very worried about Galan, who just lost again in uh in Cordoba to Kovalik yesterday, and then he lost in this event too. He's just spraying balls, and he really has not taken the momentum that he had from 2020. Like, he's basically done the opposite of what Karatsev's done with his 2020 momentum. Yeah. Now, I again, it's such a long season, and so... I, especially this early in the year, given how broken the schedule has been, I'm trying to focus more on the positives than the negatives because I think uh, in particular, there has been a strong translation from how players looked at the end of last season to how they looked at uh, how they look at the start of this season. Think Sabalenka, think Osaka for the headlines. Obviously, Daniil Medvedev, Andre Rublev seem to have carried it over. We just did, you know, five minutes on Francesco Serendolo, who has carried it over as well. I agree with you that, you know, Galan hasn't looked his best thus far, but it's only two weeks, right? You got, it's all about the perspective. Yeah, I, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. You know, he's still, yeah, I agree. Plenty of time, um, nothing to get too concerned about. But Well, the thing is, he doesn't have, like, an overwhelming trait. Like, with the Surindolo forehand, you're like, oh, that's going to work always. For Galan, it was just kind of, oh, he's making a lot of balls, and he's just in a really good rhythm right now. And you always worry about a player like that. It's almost Mitchell Kruger-esque just on a clay court, where if Kruger's physically feeling well and the forehand's landing that week, you're like, oh, he looks really good. He's been really confident, but you still have... Have some lingering concerns. I you put Galan in that category, right? Yeah. So what was he was doing so great last year was he had he was hitting these huge serves and he was hitting with such great controlled aggression deep in the court. And this year he's just spraying a lot of unforced errors. I think I might write an article on him. So more Ooh. more on that to come. <laughs> All right. You know what? It, again, I don't, I hate to drink drink yeah, dragoon. Dragoon, we'll go with the word dragoon. These articles to crack rackets, but I will be sad if that one's the last word on sports. Uh, last word on tennis. Just so you know. Just so you know. Just throwing that out there. Uh, anyways, anyways, that's see. This is what I do. This is why you want to work with me, folks. I provide public peer pressure on David, right as he was expecting it, uh, and I'm sure that's exactly what he's looking for from me. Uh, but anyways, anyways, apologies for that. With that in mind, though, again, any final thoughts on Concepcion? Um, no, I. You know what was yeah. a great under-the-radar match that we didn't say? It was Tabilo Coria. Did you see that one? I did not. Give me the two-minute rundown. Tabilo, first off, was playing great. Great variety this tournament. He hit with uh, gr- the lefty. He played a great lefty game against Coria. Coria was up uh, was up uh, 5-2 in the third, and I thought the match was done. Um, and then Tabilo, somehow in front of his home, he, home uh, fans, you know, because he's from Chile, came back and won it in the third set tiebreak. Um, lots of fun, lots of breaks, lots of great clay court tennis. Um, and I, and it was great to see Tabilo play well. Because, you know, he started 2020 a little slow. Um, so it was great to see him back on his home turf on the clay and 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Now, I. Perhaps the most remarkable moment for me was, you know, if you go watch the highlight video on uh, YouTube, like I think it's at the beginning of the second set where in Concepcion people rushed the court in that Shorindolo Baez match and there was some sort of, I don't know if it was a protest, I don't know what it was, but it was something. It was absolutely (laughs) something. And so, yeah, Concepcion providing the fireworks and certainly some spectacular tennis. Let's move on, though, to our next challenger. And I promise, folks, we're not going to do 15 minutes on all of these or 20 minutes on all of these. That one in particular was fun. We could talk about this all day. Yeah. Well, first of all, when I say we're not going to, I would do it. I know David would as well. I just know he, as he mentioned at the top, has, you know, things like school to get to. And so, you know, don't want to be too rude to him. But uh, let's move now to Italy, where we had the Biela challenger working pronunciation i apologize folks but we did have some fantastic results up and down the board in particular we had a final between two guys borderline both next gen players sun Kwan, a little bit aged out of that category but Kwan looking exceptional here this week the number three seed i think dropping only one set throughout the course of the event as he knocks off uh, in the quarterfinals, Yannick Maiden, in the semifinals, Evgeny Donskoy, and then in the final, Lorenzo Musetti, the talented young Italian, 6-2, yeah, Let's start w- with the Sun Wukwan. I was, I was going to say, let's start with the Sun Wukwan side, David. Okay. <laughs> Your thoughts on his performance this week. I mean, this is a guy who entered the week with a top 100 ranking. He's a guy who has been ranked, I believe, as high as number 62, I think, or maybe it's, yeah, 69, excuse me, in the ATP rankings with this result he jumps back up to number 81 I mean this is not his first challenger title right you look in his career for Quan this is challenger title number three for him first since 2019 but that's because he spent all of 2020 playing ATP Mm -hmm. level events it was really good to see him dip back down to the challenger level to try and you know find his form find his level and to see him have this sort of success it just kind of reaffirms that sometimes you're going to struggle as you try to break through at the top of the ATP rankings Uh, but Quan definitely has the goods he's another guy where it's just, especially on an indoor hard court, he does a little bit of everything, and everything he does, he does well. Yeah, he was able to control the baseline so well. And yeah, you're 100%. right, he lost three of his first four matches of 2020. I watched the, the match, his opening match against Corda. He lost 6-4, 6-4. It was a lot closer than the scoreline indicated. Um, but yeah, he you know he made the smart decision, I think, uh, you know after a pretty brutal loss to Kokonakis in the uh, Australian Open first round, to drop down to a challenger, and it worked out because he got his form and his uh, confidence back. Uh, he played a very, that final, he played very confidently against Musetti. He knew exactly what he wanted to do, and he pretty much dominated the match. Yeah, I mean, you look at the lowest number for him on the week of first serve points one. He won only 73.7, I say only, only 73.7% of his first serve points against Yannick Maiden, but he also won 76% of his second serve points. He was over 50% on his second serve in each and every one of his matches this week. He was over 74% in each and every one of his matches on the first serve conversion percentage. Now that first serve percentage still leaves a lot to be desired, and I think for him, That's why he continues to struggle a little bit in ATP Tour matches. And Mm -hmm. look, you look for Sun Wukwan, you look at his record, you go back to 2019. He won, uh, I believe, and I don't want to get this wrong here, back in 2019 for Sun Wukwan, made a ton of finals. He had a a ton of, uh, um, here we go, 2019, he made final in... Uh, Yokohama, he ended up winning that over Oscar Ota. Mm-hmm. Two months later, makes the final in Seoul, ends up winning that over Max Purcell. And from there, you know, he started to play more ATP level events. And I think when you look at his 2020 season, he went 11 and 10 overall, only played one challenger. But, you know, you look at some of the losses he lost to Nadal, he lost to Opelka, he lost to Kyle Ledmond. He the was a guy who. Up. 
Yeah, but he also exactly he but he also lost to guys like Matteo Viola and Igor Gerasimov and Nicolas Bastelishvili in a five set first round match at last year's Australian Open. And I think for him the issue is there's you know it's not the overwhelming pace the overwhelming pop he he does a lot of things really well and he moves the ball really well around the court but if you do have that big weapon to hit him off of his spot that's when he can start to struggle however in this final match he played against Lorenzo Musetti here to win this challenger title I thought Quan did such a good job of targeting the Musetti forehand during baseline rallies because that's the side for Musetti where you know it's a little bit of a hitch it's a big backswing and if you can attack that wing with pace he'll leave you a short ball and then once Quan got that short ball it was taking it early down the line or going short angle cross court and just you know he did such a good job of targeting that side and also did a good job of you know continuing to hit to the Musetti backhand, but with the purpose of opening the court so he could attack the forehand wing. It was just a really well-executed game plan, and, you know, again, for Sun Wukwan, I think they traded breaks early in set number one, but after that, he didn't look in trouble at any portion of that final. Yeah, he went down a break early on. Um, yeah. He came back, yeah, you know, do we do we want to jump to Musetti? Because I think this match told me more Please. about Musetti than, I did, than it did about Quan. Uh, so I'm not going to call that Musetti's run to the final a fraud, but I'm going to say <laughs> definitely not as impressive. It was, you know, Golbis in the quarterfinals self destructed. Um, Seppi is ran out of steam. He's older. He should have won. Seppi should have won that match. Napolitano's in a huge slump. That's who he played in the first round. In the second round, put Lacco, who, besides a good week in Kimper, is over the hill. Here's the deal with Musetti <laughs> on a hard court, he still puts a little too much emphasis on topspin on the forehand. Um, I think that the backhand is variety is, is good enough, but it's not going to hurt the top players on hard. The ball sits up too much on hard for them at forehand. And I think that the pro- biggest problem with Musetti on hard court is that, he, I, I mean, on hard court is that he tries to play clay court tennis on an indoor hard court, which is just, which didn't work against a good, good informed player like Quan. Oh, this is why I like having you on the pod. You just called Lorenzo Musetti's performance a fraud. That's delightful. That's the clip, by the way. Westoff, save that. Um, yeah, I just, I agree with you to an extent. So I agree with everything you say about the forehand. The forehand, he works it like it's a clay court. He tries to hit the short angle and these little soft, high looping balls that just respectfully sit up on a hard court, and Quan beat him to the spot, took that ball early, and took control of the point. I 100% agree with you, and where I disagree, and you know, the backhand, he gets a little slice happy. He'll go for these stupid drop shots where you're just like, what are you doing here? Like, you understand this, again, isn't a clay court. It's significantly easier for Sun Wukwan to change direction when he's playing on concrete and track that ball down. And I do, where I disagree is the backhand. I think the backhand looks phenomenal on hard courts, on clay courts, on any court. I just think the way he makes contact, particularly on the return of serve, his backhand return of serve is his better side. Mm -hmm. And you don't say that often for someone with a one-handed backhand. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge positive for him moving forward. I think the way he moves forward on a hard court is also a trait that if he can be more efficient with will be a huge positive for him moving forward in his career and his serves going to translate regardless of surface for me it's the forehand it's just on a quicker surface that forehand will have problems right now it's a long wind up right and he really tries to get under the ball too much i think Uh uh-huh and he yanks out of it too like he's he's always falling back and again very easy for us to sit here and criticize his form uh when he would beat us oh 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 but these are the things you notice. Like, it, it again, versus a Sebastian Baez where everything's out in front and everything is so steady, you can tell on a fast court for Musetti, it does disrupt his rhythm because, well, we, as you Baez, as you mentioned, that forehand's big. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, but still, I, I just think— Yeah. I don't know. I I agree with... I I don't think it was a flukish run because I think physically... Again, some of the traits you see from Musetti, the physicality, the serve, the aggression, the creativity, those things are all going to translate regardless of surface. It's it's legitimately just a forehand question. And the problem at the highest levels of pro tennis is if you have 
a glaring weakness, and it's the way with Francis Tiafo. You know every good player is going to be hitting big serves to the Tiafo mm-hmm. forehand because he just can't hit through that ball. Musetti's going to have that phase as he transitions to the highest levels of the game, and how he responds to that will define his upside as a pro player. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Um, he's going to yeah going to have to get it figured out because guy because Quan. Quan was like I think a good reality check in terms of you're not an ATP event, you because know, he can get up, you know, with his clay court game, he's going to be able to I think rise up the rankings some and maybe get into some uh, like more ATP level events, like hard court events potentially because of his clay court craft. Um, so he's gonna, but I think he's gonna see a lot of results like Quan if he tries to play ATP tour hard court events. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I don't think that the, he he got fortunate with the weaker draw, but he still had to win the matches. With, um, and it's great when you know, and it, more practice on our court, the better, I think. Um, and you know, he got a tough first round Australian. I don't want to take too much uh, into his first round of qualifying uh, loss to Van de Zanschel, given how he played. Um, and he did do, uh, yeah, I mean, he he. He beat Petrovic in Istanbul on hard courts, um, who has a good serve. Um, so, you know, I think that I don't want to be too negative here because I really do like Musetti and I like his game. Um, so I, we'll see what happens. No, it's again, it's been a really high level of play uh, for uh, certainly for, excuse me, uh, for uh, Sunwoo Kwan to take it to Lorenzo Musetti the way that he did. But yeah, it's it's a concern. I mean, if you have the big weapon on a hard court, it will be fascinating to see how Musetti responds. But again, if you're Lorenzo Musetti, who now makes his first final on hard courts at a challenger, it's his third challenger final in the past, what, five months? Uh, obviously for uh, the now 18-year-old, still hasn't even turned 19, does so at the beginning of March, to be 122 in the world. He's exactly where he wants to be. This is all to say we are con- the reason we express this concern is because Lorenzo Musetti, as we expressed in our Next Gen podcast, is a guy who's got you know phenomenal upside. Is a guy who can become mm-hmm. a top twenty, top fifteen player if things break right for him. Uh, and so you know the forehand is one of those things that are going to have to break right for him. On this occasion, it did not. Sun Wukong ending up in the winner's circle now. You look at some of the other results here. Uh, Andre Seppi, who you referred to, Musetti beating, was the number four seed, so he essentially held seed. But our, our number three seed was Sun Wukwan. He won the title. However, our top two seeds both upset early in the event. Alejandro De- Davidovich Fokina, second round loss to Federico Gayo, 7664. Yeah, completely surprising. And then Sebastian Corda, who has since beat. Uh, Joe Wilfred Songa, obviously, uh, this week at an ATP level event, so I don't think we're too concerned about him, but he did lose a match to Dimitri Popko in straight sets in the first round. By the way, shout out to our guy Raul Brancaccio, who I see here in the first round as a qualifier losing to Ernest Golbus 4-6-6-3-6-4, so I guess Brancaccio on the rise here, folks. Um, but your thoughts on the rest of these Bila uh, results? Yeah, I mean, well... To be fair, Sang is coming off the big injury, so I kind of yeah. order to win that match. Um, no, me too. But great again, great to win an ATP level. Um, it's a, winning ATP level matches can only help. Um, yeah, I was you know Seppi uh, beat Marchenko. Marchenko did a great job just to even get to the quarterfinals after a long week uh, the week before, and he beat uh, Matcher Zach. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, <laughs> Um, and he really fought hard, and it was it's great to see him playing well again. Um, Don Skoy had a good week. Uh, I think he sometimes gets a little underrated at times. People forget how good he can be. He uh, played great, aggressive, hardcore tennis. Um, so that was good to see. Um, Golden mm-hmm. finally put together a quarterfinal run. Yeah, no, I, I, again, you look at the draw of Genny Donskoy continues to play well. Andreas Seppi... I don't know if he's got I you know again I think he's certainly more a challenger guy than he is a high level ATP tour guy at this point. He's a perfect litmus test for all of these young up and comers. If you can't beat Andreas Seppi, your game's just not ready physically for the ATP tour, but 
No, overall, yeah, you know, guys like Marchenko, Donskoy, Yannick Maiden continue to play well, and uh, I think more than anything else that you see guys like Juan and Musetti and Serendolo and Baez emerging from these challengers, it continues a trend we're seeing. These next-gen guys are coming. It's happening week in, week out at the challenger level. I think Bela was another example of that trend continuing. Uh, of course, that trend continued in our final challenger event I want to talk about here uh, as well, and I really just want to lock in on the performance of one player in particular because you know all of us now as American men's tennis fans if you are American man tennis men's tennis fan and I know I am I know David is as well we're all in on the Korda Nakashima bandwagons right we know Sebastian Korda now inside the top 100 made that Delray Beach final fourth round of the Roland Garros last year we know he's legit We've all, you know, last summer was the summer of Nakashima. Everyone professed their love for him, his upside, et cetera, et cetera. So we know, you know, I I think we all feel pretty confident that Brandon is going to be a star moving forward. But the player we have all forgotten about because he went and spent a year at Baylor and he suffered a bunch of injuries at Baylor. So he didn't get to play many matches. And yeah, it was this lingering turf toe. And then, you know, of course, we had the pandemic. And so was he really going to be able to play many pro matches? No, although he was able to play a bit of UTR, uh, uh, some UTR events and have some success. But the guy who uses his protected ranking to get into this draw in South Africa ends up running his way through to the final where he comes back and knocks off Gabishvili 2-6-6-3-6 love, earns his first challenger title, and with it, a spot back in the top 200, top 250 of the ATP rankings is Jensen Brooksby, the 20-year-old American earning the title here this week. He went, gets wins over Chem Ickel uh, in the quarterfinals. He knocks off Lucas. the previous week. And then he knocks off Lucas Meadler in the semifinals in straights, finally comes back to knock off Gabishvili. Brooksby is a fascinating prospect to me for a bunch of reasons. I I was going to say, I want to hear your thoughts on him first. Before we get to Brooksby, I want to say, Gabishvili, we know what happened in that first round uh, when you lost (laughs) two sex to Alec Beckley. Uh, That was the the peak of uh, suspicious uh, sex. Uh, We know what went on there. So, seems like a guy on uh, Mike and Noah's podcast, but that was not good. Yeah. No, it was was a bold move. It was a bold move, certainly. Um, But, no, again, so that aside, (laughs) Jensen Brooksby, when you look at his game, it does. It's not as pretty as a Surandolo or a, even you know the Nakashima. You can just see it's a ruthless efficiency. He's just going to go cross court, cross court down the line, and just again the depth, the pace, all of the things he does. It's so he makes it look routine out there. For Sebastian Corda, the guy just oozes talent in everything he does. For Jensen Brooksby. A, you know, make sure your volume's not too loud when you're watching the highlights because he will make some noise during a match <laughs> on the court. But for me, it's just the way he competes, man. I mean, there it's in it's a non-quantifiable category, but he, it it's, it reminds me of Stefan Kozlov and just like the way he just he'll make that extra ball. He'll there'll be slightly better depth, slightly better pace than you expect, or you know, he's going to hit that two-handed backhand drop shot, which is. It's not pretty, but it His certainly works. We're good. We're very good. Yeah, yeah but the th- that's the other crazy part is like, well, he doesn't blow you away with his foot speed, and yet his anticipation is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't know. When you see Brooksby, what are the things that jump out to you? So, yeah, so the first thing, the first time I really realized, like, this guy's going to be good was in the 2019 U.S. Open uh, when he beat Yukita, Suhita, and then Pedro Martinez to qualify, then beat uh, Thomas Burdich in the first round. Um, that was when he kind of burst onto the stage, and then he got the toe stuff and the pandemic and all that. I, I like he has a good heavy first serve. The forehand is heavy. Um, he I noticed a lot of good aggression on the backhand side, um, good depth on the shots, like we mentioned, uh, defensive skills. He's only six foot two, but he, I think he plays as if he's a little taller. Um, and it's no surprise that his favorite surface is on hard courts. And he's only 20 years old. Um, I, I was really impressed with him this week. I, you know, I didn't, I, I expected him to lose to Eel Kel. I think I tweeted at you. I 
predicted Okel to win. He beat Benjamin Bonzi, who had the previous week's winner in the second round, which is a really good win. Bonzi just beat, uh, just had a nice win today in Montpellier. So he's really, Bonzi's an ascending player. So for Brooksby to beat him was great. Um, yeah, he was down a set in the first round to Ryan uh, Peniston, and he really, after that, didn't look back. Um, really didn't look back. Great wins this week, um, and really great to see after such a after the long injury layoff. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think for Brooksby, again, it's a little handsy. Like the, it's very much he's flipping his hands on the backhand, and it's not as fluid through the shoulder and on the, you know, it's very wrist centric on the forehand as well. And yet, I mean, it just works. It really does just mm-hmm. work. You mentioned the defensive skills when he's on the run, when he makes contact with that ball, it's just going to be better depth than you think. And he does a really good job when he's in the center of the court of moving the ball around the court. If you give Jensen Brooksby time, now you're playing his game. Now you're in his yeah. pattern where he's just going to go cross, cross, line. And again, he he's very, very good when he can be in the center of the court. Now, I don't think he's an exceptional mover yet. I, I do think no, he's, he's still, not. you know, he doesn't have that explosive first step. Now, he's not a bad mover um but you know it it's it's almost it's nakashima right where it's good it's not great and i probably even like brandon's a hair more and yet you know for brooksby's like six two six three i like his size i really do like the way the ball explodes off his strings i think he hits a heavy topspin baseball off of both mm-hmm. wings and i mean you know He's still working his way back from injury, still trying to get match tough. And I do think that movement, you know, if movement is a thing you're concerned about with someone, that's a good thing because you can always become a better mover. That is one of those tangible things. I mean, you know, I don't think. And so I just, yeah, I I think he does a lot of things well. And he's still only 20 years old. So I'm a fan. That's why I was so, you know, because he's not that great of a mover. So when I watch, when I'm watching him and I see the great, you know, defensive plays, it's a little surprising because you're right. He does kind of, I, he's able to produce on defense at a level that is not expected given his movement, if that makes sense. No, uh, I, I, no it does. It, it definitely does. I agree. He's, his defensive skills outweigh his, or are outsize his athleticism. I think it was a good, I, I definitely, you know, now I, obviously in hindsight, it was a good idea to go pro as opposed to returning to Baylor. Um, but yeah, no, I, yeah, was, I agree that I think it's fair. He was gonna, you know, that U S open damn was that impressive. And, you know, I thought from there, you know, he was going to be the next, you know, what we see, you know, from quarter Nakashima, you know, recently. Um, and so I'm really, yeah, he's a, then, you know, the injuries, um, but he really was, you know, it's easy to forget how good he looked. You, you know, we expect you know against Pedro Martinez and against Burdich, um, and he gave back Osbili a fight in the second round too. No, I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's strange. It's uh, it, it's it, that's what the thing about that's what I really like about the contrast in these three players is for Sebastian Corda again. It makes sense just the way he, his size, his athleticism, the, how natural it all looks. It makes sense for Nakashima. It makes sense just because again the discipline, how how strong, how good he is at just breaking down his opponents. And then Brooksby's kind of the wild card of the group. It's it's very very intriguing. It's again it's a little bit different uh, than some of the others. So uh, very excited again to see him healthy and to see him have this sort of success and you know when you look at the rest of this South African uh, challenger draw and we can do that quickly uh, I thought it was a really good win for uh, Kalawan Monsi who of course is the younger brother of Illinois Sifo Monsi and you know again the Monsi brothers so talented uh, he gets a win over Braden Schnur in the first round I think you look for Brooksby it wasn't just in the final he also got a really good win over an informed Benjamin Bonzi uh, in three sets in the second round as well uh, your thoughts on the rest of the results we saw here in South Africa? Yeah, the draw was, I think, probably a little weaker than the other two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to say, the, yeah, I feel bad for Menendez, Maceiras, and Needler in that doubles match. I don't know if you saw that on uh, Twitter at all. Where they, I did not. It was 10-9, they were down, and uh, Nicholas Kuhn hits a double fault um, 
clearly out that the umpire was blocked and the line and the linesman didn't see. Um, so they lost on a missed call, um, which I felt bad for them. Yeah. Oh, I, you're right. I did see that. That was something else. Yeah. I, I love seeing, speaking of Menendez Messiera, seeing him make another quarterfinal. I'm one of the few people who like him. I love how he competes. I love how much he cares. So it's always nice to see him in, in a challenger quarterfinal. Um, and yeah, uh, that that was uh, yeah. That's that's uh, that's what I got. Santillan is starting to play better. Um, Nicholas Kuhn, man, I you know he burst onto the scenes not too long ago, um, and he's kind of fallen off the wayside with all the injury issues. Um, mm-hmm. what no, do you, he's. What do you think? I agree. That? No, I I have always been a fan of his game. I've always been a fan of his talent. He just he is can't put it together in matches like you yeah. watch him and there'll be these three minute stretches where you go "Ooh, who's that young you know who's that youngster give me more mm-hmm. of that and i believe he was an img kid when he was younger i may be wrong about that but he was someone who 15 16 years old was starting to put together some really impressive futures results and it just hasn't cha- translated yet it really hasn't i agree with you i have been uh surprised to see him not make a big jump but you know, again, three really fun challengers this past week. Tennis throughout the day, 24-7 for anyone who missed out on any of the action in Australia. Unfortunately for us, while we do have the three ATP events, while we do have the WTA event, we also have two challengers this week, David. This is where I want to end today's podcast. You look at the two events. We've got one going on in Nur Sultan where we've already had a couple of fun results. Mackie McDonald knocking off Mikhail yeah, Kukushkin, was- the number one seed. Yeah, that's a first-round match. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. And I, you know, our guy, Yuri Rodionov, finally putting a victory on the board. He knocks off a lucky loser in Ivan Nadelko, but still, he gets a victory. Your other seeds here on the weekend, you've got number eight seed, Blas Rola, number five seed, Henry Laxanin, the seventh seed, Martin Kleeson, four seed, Pranesh Gunaswaran, the two seed, Evgeny Donskoy. I believe the number three seed from this event ended up withdrawing. That's why we don't see him. Uh, but there's your Noor Sultan update. Yeah, Blanche get a win over Popko. I like Blanche. I think he has a lot of potential. I was ready to declare Ulysses Blanche my favorite young American after his run through Ann Arbor last season. I think I've told you that before, but yeah. I'm a yeah, I'm a big believer in his as well. That's challenger number one. Challenger number two, clay event going on in Spain. Your top seed, Lorenzo Musetti. Two seed, uh, Carlos Taberner. Your number three seed, Federico Gayo. Four seed, Nikola Milojevic. Uh, and then a bunch of fantastic players littered throughout the draw as well. I keep... Uh, I keep yeah you mentioned it Nicola Kuhn first round loss again for him this week yeah. against Ricardo Bonadio but uh more broadly your thoughts on the challenger matches we're going to see this week David things yeah. to watch for our listeners yeah so uh, uh Maroni is a player that when he's on when his backhand's able to ha- uh able to hold up he's one of the most fun clay court players to watch really heavy forehand uh, great angles, great variety in his game, and he looked great in the first round against uh, Guinard. Um, so he's a player to watch. Uh, Musetti, yes, Musetti has the one seed. He has a tough draw um, after the first round. You know, he's already he's going to play Mulkin, who um, some days Alex Mulkin looks like he can he's top hundred. Sometimes he looks like he's top thousand. So if Mulkin is uh, on, that's going to be a tough match. Then he has to play either Horansky or Maroney. Um. Yeah. So Kuhn lost um, yesterday, which another you know he doesn't put enough margin on the balls, and that was so apparent against Benadio, you know, who has these beautiful, heavy, you know, high margin ground strokes. Giannessi is another player who's been under the radar, playing pretty good clay court tennis. Have you seen? Have you noticed that um, with Giannessi? Uh, you know, I. It's so tough because I do feel like we get a different Italian player making a run every week, and they can all do so many different things. You know, I was still—it's—it's it's so interesting to see this generation of Italian tennis players, whether it's Napolitano or Giannessi, or obviously Sinego's had a bunch of success of late as well. But you know, for Giannessi, it's tough, right? Because there are some matches where you see him just connecting with the ball from the baseline, and you're like, "Whoa, what's this?" You're like, "I." I am intrigued. Like, mm-hmm. I am very intrigued by the way you move the ball around the court. And then 
Then there are times when he'll make these, you know, he'll miss, it feels like, 30 shots out of 35 attempts. And you're just like, what are you doing? Yeah, the backhand can sometimes look. Yeah, especially the backhand. Um, yeah, and then the last thing I want to say is um, about this one is the um, good for Marco Trengoliti uh, winning that really tough match against Manuel Valera yesterday. Yeah, I uh, you know again I I am still I'm still trying to play catch up from last week, so I have that in my queue of matches. But it, more than anything else, I just feel like there are again. It, I think you're just seeing, and it's different this week because there are three ATP events being offered. But all of these players are looking for competitive opportunities, and so we've seen a really high level of play at the challenger level. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I completely agree. Yeah, no, and so again, it should be a really fun time uh, for tennis fans, another great week of action, and if you have missed out on any of the action, you can catch up on all of it by checking out our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackRackets. You want to message me, I am at GreatShotPod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff for the of an ending job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at midwest sports go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 to get 15 percent off your order free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars best of all a free can of wilson extra duty tennis balls midwestsports.com the promo code is cr15 with that in mind david any final thoughts on the past couple of weeks of challenger play and more importantly any preview for our listeners on what you're going to be up to and you know of course where they can follow all of your work yeah so you know like i said that galan piece um maybe we can do uh february all-stars maybe um mm-hmm. and then we uh maybe you know you mentioned before uh something on the Strunderlow brothers um so we can talk about that uh yeah so i am uh, i write for last wear on tennis i have my own blog it's all about tennis blog and then i uh Right for Crack Rackets. Um, you can find me at Tennis Blogger One. And I'm always, you know, you're welcome to, uh, you know, tweet me whenever because I always love, as you can tell from this podcast, I love talking about uh, Challenger Tennis. Um, and so feel free yeah. to tweet me. No, absolutely. Again, it is always a pleasure to have you on the podcast when you. Uh, you, you don't have to thank me, David. Thank you for putting up with my nonsense. I was going to say, when you write your February, because we never did the January All-Stars for a podcast, which we should have. It's just a little bit too far in the rearview mirror now. But when you write your February All-Stars at a minimum, that will be the next time we have you. Hopefully, we'll get you back on before. But again, hope you are staying safe and healthy, and we appreciate your continued work, all you do to shine a light on all levels of the tennis world. With that in mind, for my wonderful co-host David Gertler, our super producers Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host Alex Gruskin. David, this is always the ultimate test. Do you know what we tell our listeners? Yes, I do. Should I say it? Absolutely. That's the break. I love it. Perfect. (laughs) And we will see you all next time. Thank you as always, David. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.